In our last shiur together, we discussed a letter of Rabbi Yosef Masas. Rabbi Yosef Masas, who was writing to another Chacham, telling him that his approach to Judaism, his style of scaring people straight, is not only not going to lead people to do Teshuvah, but it's going to cause people to go crazy. It's going to cause people to hurt other people if not themselves. And then Rabbi Yosef Masas ended off his letter with a very interesting note. If you look with me at the top of page 4 on the source sheet that I handed out, and the top of page 4, right before where it says source number 4, And be very careful from all kinds of uh, bad nightmares, all kinds of strange images and visions, imaginations. Even if you write those, you find those words written in a number of books. That all of those chachamim who talked about all kinds of scary things and what's going to happen, they were also people with wild imaginations. May Hashem save you and save us. Amen. And this brings me to a fascinating conversation here. Of is Rabbi Yosef Masas really writing off all of those, particularly Mikubalim, who wrote about concepts of Teshuvah in such a fashion? Is he really just writing them off as crazy people, as people who have a Dimayon? Or maybe... He's telling us that even according to the Mekubalim themselves, these things are matters of imagination in the sense that they are not matters of substance. They're not me'akev. They don't hold one back from doing teshuvah. In order to understand a little of what I'm talking about, let's start us off with the Rambam. Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, in his Mishnah Torah, where he tells us, in very clear legal terms. What is Teshuvah? What does one have to do in order to be considered a Baal Teshuvah? Someone who has done Teshuvah. I recommend for everybody, before you come to Rosh Hashanah Yom to make sure you've gone through all of the Rambam's halachot of Teshuvah. If you have a Hebrew-English version, it should be fairly easy to just get through all of those halachot. And if you are you don't own one, so there's always Safari or another tool. Make sure before you come to the High Holidays to have the Rambam under your belt. Source 4. Everyone see where I'm at? Uh, uh, Safari is not fully translated in English. Really? Chabad.org has a fully translated That's correct. Chabad.org has a fully translated Rambam to English. I will also mention that Safari's translations, from what I understand, seem to be a lot of open source. You know, people just translate what they want to translate, and unfortunately... Not all the translators know what, what they're translating. So, you know, if I would see something in a language I don't understand, I just wouldn't attempt to translate it. But some people, they do. And I've found some interesting translations there. Chabad.org most definitely has the brown Moznaim Hebrew-English print version. They offer it for free on their, on their website. It's a, definitely a, a good resource to have. Umahi teshuvah. So what is teshuvah, says the Rambam? What does it mean? To do teshuvah, there must be a legal definition for doing teshuvah. Says the Rambam, 
הוא שיעזוב החוטא חטאו. That a person who does a chet, again, I'm going to stay away from words like sinner and sinning and iniquities and all kinds of words like that. The one who did a chet should abandon his chet. V'yesiro mimachshavto, and he should remove it from his thoughts. V'yigmor belibo, And he should accept in his thoughts, meaning really conclude in his thoughts, that I will never do this chet again. So step one, to stop doing the chet. Step two, stop thinking about the chet. Step three, accept upon yourself never to do the chet again. Shneemar, like it says in Yeshayahu chapter 55, Yazov Rashad Dargov Gomer, you could look in the Pasuk over there, that an evil person should leave their ways. Yitnachem, Yitnachem is an interesting word. Where do we use the word Yitnachem? What, what other what other context do we use this word? Comfort. Comfort. To comfort someone, Nichum Avelim. We say Hamakom Yinachem or Min Hashamayim Tenu. I don't want to say about anybody here. This idea of Nechama we usually translate as comfort, but again, look here. The way the Rambam uses the word Nechama clearly tells you that we don't always translate the word Nechama accurately. A person should be remorseful. that they violated this chet. That after I returned, I was remorseful. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be witness to him that he never does his chet again. Like the verse in Hosea says, And in the last step of Teshuvah is what we call Vidui Devarim. A person has to verbalize, not just to stop doing, not just to stop thinking, not just to do Teshuvah, not just to make sure you never ever do this again, but the final step in Teshuvah is Vidui Devarim. I don't want to get stuck on Vidui Devarim, but why is it so important that a person should verbalize the things that they've done wrong? That was a question for you to give me an answer. To acknowledge his um, ways. To acknowledge who? In front of who? Himself. Very good. So Vidui Devarim is important for ourselves. There is a mental block between what I know that I do wrong and admitting to myself that I do something wrong out loud so I can hear it. Those words, I am an alcoholic are very important for a person who's an alcoholic to say because it's part of accepting that I am what I am. By the way, I'm not giving here my uh, approval to the 12-step program. Rather, uh, sharing that this concept of Yidui Devarim is not just a Jewish one, it's something we understand in the world. And it's not validating someone else, it's not accepting to someone else. You know, I admit to somebody else I did something wrong. This is Yidui Devarim between you and HaKadosh Baruch There are things that I know that I'm wrong, but I'm still hiding them. 
to be able to say that well, I did X, Y, and Z wrong. That takes work. The certain type of teshuvah. And in order to do teshuvah, a person has to leave the chet that they did. They have to stop thinking about the chet. They must then, what do we say? They must accept mikanun haba never to do it again. And they must regret their chet. And ultimately, ultimately, what's the last step? If you do it, to admit that we did the chet wrong. According to halakha, in order to do teshuvah, that's what you need to do. Zeu. Zeu. So what about all the books of the Mekubalim? And all the books of the other rabbis will tell you that in order to do Teshuvah for this, there's a famous uh, uh, teaching in one of the books of Kabbalah, I don't want to mention details, that this Avera a person can never do Teshuvah for. Or there are teachings like, in order to do Teshuvah you have to fast for 84 days in a row, or in order to do Teshuvah you have to go roll in the snow, or in order to do Teshuvah you have to X, Y, and Z. There are many things that Mekubalim say. What about those things? Rabbi Yosef Masah says, hey, slow down, just uh, accept every mitzvah that people do. And those, those things, they're imaginations. So maybe we can't trust Rabbi Yosef Masas about what the Mekubalim think. So let's go look at the Mekubalim. Let's go look at Aviha Mekubalim, the father of the Mekubalim. Let's go look at the writings of the Benish Chai, Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, Hugo told me that he likes when we do the biographies of rabbis. But today is not my day for the Ben Ishchai. Just a little bit of how much I love the Ben Ishchai. The Ben Ishchai is a unique Chacham. It's not a normal Chacham. And his style is, is eloquent. It's beautiful. It's very deep. It's also very difficult. The Ben Ishchai in terms of Halakha, for example, Arab Peretz always says, the Ben Ishchai was Chasidah Kedisha Uprisha. He was a, a completely righteous and pious person. Because of that, his level of Halakhot were... Expected. He wrote those books for people who were extremely righteous and pious. It's not necessarily the approach that always works, especially in our generation. But the wisdom of the Ben Ishchai, the Chuchmah of the Ben Ishchai, the approach of the Ben Ishchai is very powerful. Uh, Harav, uh, you say that it's, uh, his works are meant for, for pious people, but isn't the Ben Ishchai, his book, the Ben Ishchai, supposed to be for the average person? Absolutely. I'm telling you that clearly he was uh, in a different headspace of when he looked at the average person, what he thought they were capable of doing. I mean, you're right. He, he didn't write it for Mekubalim. Uh, he wrote it for the Hamonam. And he even wrote that these are the halakhot he taught them. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm with the Shulchan still. Nonetheless, the Ben Ishchai, there's a piece that I taught from him, if I'm not mistaken. I mentioned him in my London class when I was there. Uh, about him and secular studies. And he was adamant that people must study secular studies, especially geography and uh, mathematics and language and a few things that he, were, he was he very much believed people needed to know. And you can't call yourself a learned person unless you know those things. It's not exactly the type of mekubal you can put in a box like everybody else. Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad has a book called Mayim Chaim. This book is so precious to me that I own at least three different editions of this book. Uh, every time it was printed, I have my own copy of it. By the way, normally I do that just in case I ever find something there that doesn't make sense. You often go look in another edition and you find either somebody made it up or somebody edited it out or somebody, uh, whatever may have happened. But Baruch uh, Hashem, this book is a very powerful work on Teshuvah, on, on coming close to Akadosh Baruch 
And in the midst of writing all kinds of things, especially from a Kabbalistic perspective, he throws out this piece. And I was going to bring that book today, but I left it at home. Let's do it anyways. Vim haged And if it was told to you, O Or you saw in the writings of the Arizal himself. So either you heard from somebody who told you that according to Kabbalah X, Y, and Z, or you yourself saw it in the books of Kabbalah. The only way to fix your Averot is through all kinds of Sigufim. Uh, uh, you know what Sigufim are? Afflictions, self-afflictions, like rolling over in the snow, like uh, fasting tremendously, like all kinds of uh, very uh, difficult things. numerous fasts. And then your heart starts to get worried. You don't have the strength to to endure such kind of uh, afflictive teshuva. Don't, God forbid, kick away the idea of Teshuvah. Don't abandon the idea of Teshuvah. By saying, that because you cannot do this Tikkun, so you know what? I'm going to be worse. Anyways, I can't do Teshuvah. So I might as well do worse. What is it going to help you to do Teshuvah anyways? This is what you're thinking. Listen, if I can't do Teshuvah this way, so what's the point of doing a half Teshuvah? I can't. I just can't do a whole Teshuvah. I can't do Teshuvah the way I'm expected to do Teshuvah. So because I forget it, it's too hard. By the way, Rabbi Yosef Masas, part of what he's alluding to in his letter is this concept. That the moment that we make Judaism too difficult is the moment that people don't try anymore. It's not that you set the bar here so people are going to try to hit halfway. When you set the bar here, it becomes so out of reach for people, they no longer try to do it. This is the reason why our Chachamim uh, argued and fought hard not to raise the bar as if that's even a possible thing to do, but not to make Judaism more difficult than it already is. Because you think that you're doing something great. Really what you're doing is you're moving Judaism further and further away from the reach of the average Jewish person. And by doing that, you are causing people to abandon their faith. This is something Rabbi Yosef Masas, you see throughout his writings, this is something he's adamant about. The reason why we draw the line by Maran HaShulchan Aruch, it's not only because of X, Y, and Z that I've mentioned before. The more you try to add and the more difficult it becomes, the more irrelevant this Judaism becomes to the masses. And then you lose everybody. You know, there's a famous problem that happened, especially in the last few generations, in Ashkenaz in particular. And that is that Judaism went from being something decided on by Chachamim, who were rabbis of communities, who dealt with people every day, who knew people, who knew the average Jew, who knew the, 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 the men and the women and everybody in the community. And it switched from those people's hands to the hands of the Rashi Yeshiva, to the heads of the Yeshivot, who don't know the average Jewish person and they're out of touch with men and women and children. They're out of touch with most realities because they live in this ivory tower called their Yeshiva. Not the Yeshiva, but their Yeshiva. Their particular flavor of Yeshiva. 
And when such people are given the keys to halakha, the only halakha they can come up with is the kind of halakha which caters to their crowd, which is their highest common denominator. What about the regular people that you don't know? What about the people that, that your, your standard that you accepted on everybody, but is not good for everybody? Is it really fair to give the keys of halakha to people who are out of touch with reality? Rabbi Shamshon Rafael Hirsch, who was one of the giants of real Ashkenaz, so not like Poland, Russia, Ashkenaz, but actual Ashkenaz, which is Germany. And he writes a fascinating piece in which he says, his book called Shemesh Umarpeh. He says, you know, David and Goliath, the famous story of King David and the giant. David HaMelech was not necessarily the greatest warrior. And in the past, I've shared with you a different reading of this story. From Chacham Faur, I taught in my Kila and Shabbat. But it's not that David and Goliath, the Goliath is a giant, but what's so special about David? David knew, he's a very small man. He knew the right stone to throw in the right place at the right time to win the war. When a Chacham is disconnected from the war, doesn't know the reality of life, this Chacham is lacking any tools, any weapons with which to win the war that we're facing outside. And Bisham Shorfel Hirsch has some pretty harsh words for the Chachamim who are Bikiim Bekol Khadri Halakha. They know all the books of Halakha. But they don't know reality. They're out of touch with the world. And it shouldn't surprise you then that every Monday and Thursday you get notices on the internet, on WhatsApp, wherever you, wherever you get your local Jewish news. This great rabbi said X, Y, and Z, and this gadol wrote X, Y. And you go, how did this person say such a ludicrous thing? They told us he was smart. The answer is, yeah, he might be smart in terms of what he knows of Torah, but it's completely out of touch with the reality of the world and especially the Jewish people who are living in that world. Says the Benishchai, please, my brother, don't give up on Teshuvah because of this. Don't even think like this. These are thoughts of stupidity. The only Teshuvah that was agreed upon by all of Am Yisrael, we only have one type of teshuvah that was agreed upon by the Jewish people. That was from Adam HaRishon, the first man until today. We only have the words of the Rambam when it comes to teshuvah. If you didn't fall out of your chair, it's because you don't appreciate how wonderful this is, the Ben Ishchai is telling us, listen, I love the Ariza. I'm a Mekubah. The bottom line is, Halakha follows the Rambam. That's what we have. The Rambam's teaching is from the Talmud, which was accepted by the Jewish people. To do Teshuvah, you just need to leave the Chet. To confess our Chet, verbally. And to regret doing the Chet. These are the three principles of Teshuvah. 
on top of page 4 in the left column. These are the steadfast pillars of Teshuvah that you should never abandon. And somebody who does Teshuvah according to the Rambam, is the most evil person on earth who violates every mitzvah in the Torah and every letter inside of the Torah. I once in my life met a person like that. I was asked for an appointment with somebody when I was still living in the old city of Jerusalem. They came into my office and said, Rabbi, I, you don't know me, I just have to tell you, there's not one avera in the Torah that I did not do. So I told him two things off the top of my head. The first is, I'm not a Catholic priest, so I don't take confessions. And second is, I find it very hard to believe that literally every single avera in the Torah you were able to violate. Stop thinking so badly about yourself. But let's say there was such a person, literally violated every mitzvah in the Torah. If he left his chet, and he did vidui over them, and he says, woe to me, what have I done? If I would have known that this was such a bad avera, I would never have done it. With all one's heart. This person is accepted and beloved in front of Hashem like every other tzaddik on earth. Because this is the main part of Teshuvah. That is the main dish on the menu. Said in all of the things the Mekubalim talk about that a person has to do surrounding Teshuvah, those are like the extra spices that you add to the food. But dinner is already served. The food is there. The nutrition is there. It's the flavor of the Teshuvah, perhaps, that is missing. And if a person knows that these types of things, like fasting, will harm him, the last thing HaKadosh Baruch Hu would want is for you to endanger yourself. This is a person who does Teshuvah without any ulterior motives. Once you tick these three boxes, you are already considered a Baal Teshuvah Gamur, you're a Tzaddik, you have nothing else to worry about. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not want you to be involved in the rest. Hashem loves you and accepts you entirely. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a king who loves, is a father who is forgiving and compassionate. And don't think for one moment. This which I'm telling you, that this is somehow going against the will of the Rizal, God forbid, the Arizal himself agrees with this idea, and if he was here, he would tell you the same exact thing. Here's the Benishchai. The Benishchai stepping into the arena and saying, I never read the Biosef Masas' letter. It comes maybe some 50 years after me. But I agree. I agree that if the type of Teshuvah that you're thinking of will distance you from Teshuvah, not only will it not bring you to Teshuvah, remember those words of Yosem Masath, but the second, it will harm you, it will hurt you. So the Ben Chaim mentions physical suffering. 
Rabbi Yosef Masas included in that familial suffering, spiritual suffering, emotional suffering. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not ask that from you. And neither do the Mukabalim. So leave them alone. Here's a Ben Ishchai giving you the recipe to Teshuvah as that of the Rambam. I felt it was important to bring this letter for a few reasons. We're about to jump into another text of Kabbalah from Rabbi Moshe Kodavel, the Ramak. Shalom. And then the wars that I will not take a part of between the Kabbalists and the anti-Kabbalists, or maybe maybe it's the Kabbalists who are anti the non-Kabbalists. I don't know who's anti who. I'm not keeping track of the boxing match lately. I'm not coming to stick my head there. But to tell you that these Mekubalim that I'm quoting are those who say things like the Rambam is the final law. Anything that we say came as an extra. Are aware not to meddle the lines between that which is authentic Kabbalah from Moshe Rabbeinu and Sinai and whatever other Kabbalah that they are studying and teaching. It's important to know that. Because there are other divisions of Judaism who dabbled in Kabbalah. And unfortunately those lines became so blurred and so confused, they don't know anymore what's what and where is anything, and who, what is original and what is not, and what is a source and what is not a real source. And that being said, the Ben Ishchai is a resource I ask that you utilize. Trust him. He knows what he's talking about. He'll guide you in the right path. And this brings me to the writings of Rabbi Moshe Kodavel. But before I get there, do I have any questions so far? Do I have any questions so far about uh, anything that the Ben Ishchai said? Please. doing like extra stuff but what if the, the steps that you've just mentioned like what if you feel like you can't do that for everything does that is that still part of it so from the let me just make sure that i'm understanding so from the steps of not doing the chet anymore uh, doing vidui and then not doing it ever again those are impossible to do if that's the case for certain things um, is still like obviously I would think it is but just like how does that work let's like, say there's some stuff that you just you don't feel like that would be a genuine thing to do you could go through the motions but it, it wouldn't be real so what do you do then kind of thing I think Mark Twain once said that uh, he quit smoking between every cigarette and I think that there are some people who that's how their world of Averot and Tijuva work the same way Really, now they really don't want to do the Avera anymore, but give it an hour from now and they're all back into their Avera. Is there room in Judaism for a partial Teshuvah? I think there's a lot of room in Judaism for a person being real with the creator of the universe. And saying, hey listen, I, I know that what I'm doing is wrong. But just, just that, just the consciousness of I know what I'm doing is wrong. I haven't done Teshuvah yet, but I know what I'm doing is wrong and I don't really want to be doing it because I know that it's not what I should be doing. But I like it. What can I do? I like it. That is also a, a form of Teshuvah. It's acknowledging that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in our life and that part of what we're doing is connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, can I tell you that it's, according to the Rambam, a complete Teshuvah? No, but let's be honest, the Rambam also considers this Teshuvah to be somewhat incomplete. He goes on to say things like, the real way to do Teshuvah would be to be in the same scenario, in the same time, in the same place, with the same person, in the same everything, and to not do the mistake a second time again. I'll give you an example. 
there's a lot of things that we may have done in our youth that uh, we did because there's a lot of passion and energy in youth. And so now when we're 85, it's really easy to do Teshuvah for those things. Because anyways, half of those Averot, we just don't have the energy to do anymore. Uh, the Ramam says that's Teshuvah, but it's, it's, it's not a complete Teshuvah. Because really we're not replicating the same scenario that was. So you see from there that there is a concept of Teshuvah that's not complete. It's an incomplete Teshuvah. But it's still a step. It's still somewhere in the right direction. So I would say, and with caution, that absolutely, any any form of teshuvah is a teshuvah. So much so that our rabbis say that even if you just think of doing teshuvah, that's considered teshuvah. You want to know the teaching of our rabbis that say that? It says, Hirhulei teshuvah kitshuvah dame. That even thinking of doing teshuvah is considered doing teshuvah. There's a famous Israeli poet who had grown up observant and unfortunately in the early years of the Zionist movement had had abandoned his religiosity and came to visit Rav Kook, who was a former classmate of his in Jerusalem. Actually, it could be the story was in Tel Aviv, so I don't, I don't know. And he came to visit him in Israel. And he came to his office. And at the end of their meeting, Rav Kook tells him, says, you know, what do you think about doing teshuvah? What do you think about just getting back to who you really are? And this poet, who was really good friends with Rav Kook, turns to him and says, you know, I've been thinking about it. It's a good idea. And then he left, and that man died later that day. And Rav Kook, when he spoke at his funeral, said that this man died at Sadiq. Because before he died, he said, I was with him a few hours before he died, and before he died, he was already thinking of doing Teshuvah. That already meant that he did Teshuvah. So, Sarla, I don't know if I answered your exact question, but the idea is, I do believe there's such a thing as partial Teshuvah. Thanks, you've kind of made, given me another question, though. Okay. Um, is it, let's say you can do it, uh, you can technically, like, I can technically do it, but it's very disingenuous. It's very, like, not real. Um, is it, like, would you say it's, like, better to sort of not be true to yourself and, like, do something that you know is prescribed to do according to Halakha or whatever and, like, do to shiver like that, but you, you know, like, it's not... Wait, that's not real for me. So now you're pushing me up against the wall. And now you're telling me about the type of teshuvah that you're going through all the motions, but it's not real, really. I mean, if you were to do it, it's not authentic. I think the greatest part yeah. of this piece of Rambam is it has to be, what did he write here? He said it has to be... A, a, It has to be completed in your heart. It has to be something that you really mean. And there are things, by the way, that take a person a long time to do teshuvah for. It could be there are other things tied into that teshuvah process that will take a long time to heal from. And and I think that, again, and, I'm, and now I'm speaking outside of the Rambam. I'm only taking responsibility for myself. And I think that there's a lot to be said about teshuvah and that it's a constant journey. It's something that we do our whole life and some things take longer than others. And I would never say to do something disingenuous in front of a Kadosh Baruch Hu, because a Kadosh Baruch Hu wants genuinity from us. He wants us. A Kadosh Baruch Hu wants our hearts. Um, you know, you're already sending me down rabbit holes, so I'll go down a different one. One of the first dates I had, actually the, the first date I had with my wife, um, we were talking stories about a Hasidic Rebbe called the Katska Rebbe. Uh, and 
he had a famous, he was a radical truth seeker. His whole thing was truth. This was his, uh, some of the things you'll read about him are, are very beautiful because they're so powerful and truthful. Some things you read about him are like, ouch, the truth really hurts, and I don't know that I'm cut out for that. Uh, the Kotsk Rebbe used to tell people that he doesn't want any tzaddikim in Kotsk. He doesn't need tzaddikim. Tzaddikim are people who think that they are righteous, and there's nobody in the world who's actually righteous. Rather, he prefers the Rishayim, who are honest about the fact that Rishayim, because he rather honest people than than righteous people. And I think that there's what to be said here, that the Kadosh Baruch Hu is looking for a genuine connection with us. We're looking for a genuine connection with Kadosh Baruch Hu. And I think that part of being genuine is to stop thinking about Judaism as motions, steps that I have to take, and rather to just get behind the things that we need to be doing and do them properly, even if it's less than what we would be doing if we did the whole thing. Uh, Shulchan Aruch even codifies this as a law. In the beginning of the Shulchan Aruch, Maran writes that it's better to pray a little bit with kavanah than to pray a lot without any kavanah. I think that if I would say 99%, I'm exaggerating. It's probably 100%. Of all the synagogues in the world, nobody prays in Kavanah. Nobody. Nobody. There's no way for two hours straight you can have Kavanah on anything. Try to focus on something for more than a minute, five minutes. Try to focus. Try to do it. Now, obviously, some of you may have different attention spans than the others, but focus, real focus. Berkat Amazon. We push for a long time to say a short Berkat Amazon. And people say, oh, what do you mean? But it's a short version. What about the long version? da 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 Tell me that you have Kavanah for all 15 pages of your Berkat Amazon. If you tell me that, I'll be quiet. I don't know. I've never sat at the Shabbat table with other people and for 15 minutes they're just focused on their, their Berkat Amazon. So why not give you the 30 second version, which is the original version anyways, and it's a biblical commandment, and f- to focus for 30 seconds, you'll, you'll laugh. It takes me a long time to teach myself to focus even for 30 seconds to not think about anything else, to think about every word that I'm saying, to ignore everything that's happening around me for 30 seconds to say Berkat Amazon. When I finish that 30 second Berkat Amazon, I feel like I want, I climbed Mount Everest. And so the people who are fooling themselves that the 15 page Berkat Amazon, they have Kavana, please go sell the story somewhere else. I know that nobody has Kavana. So the same thing is true uh, when it comes to, to everything in life, that, that it's better to do less, but to do it right, than to do everything and not do it right at all. Now, is that a dangerous thing to say? Of course, most of the things that we're going to say here are going to be pretty dangerous things to say. But that's, that's, that's part of uh, uh, life. There's a famous rabbi, his name, uh, he, was, it was, he wrote a book called Chikre Lev. I believe he was the father of Rabbi Chaim Palaji. I want to tell you the father, maybe the son, I don't remember. And he said, uh, you know what? I might even have a copy of it actually in the book in front of me. One moment. It's an important lesson. I don't want to take up all your time looking for a source. Bottom line, he says that he was considering I 
I remember that's on the bottom of a page. The question is, the bottom of which page? There's a book, Lev Chaim, written by Rabbi Chaim Palaji. He writes the following words. I testify, I call heaven and earth as my witnesses. I heard from the famous genius, my grandfather, Harav Agon Bal Lev, the rabbi who wrote the book, Chikre Lev, Or Hayareach, he's the light of the moon. They called him Or Hayareach, light of the moon, because Yareach is an acronym for Yosef Rafael Chazan, and that spells out Yareach. Ki haya omer margela befume. He would say that there was a, there was a certain uh, pearl that they would always say, uh, something he regularly said. Dim hayalo arevut gamur ve'edut beru'a biyado. Shehayu mechavnim kavana shlema. That if he had a guarantee from Shamayim, an absolute guarantee, that people would have complete kavana. Hayam chaser hatfila ad kimat mi baruch shamar viyotzer vetfilat yutchet veload. That he was considering abridging the sidur to have baruch shamar until the blessings of Shema, Shema, the Amida, and nothing else on the sidur to cut everything else out. And to change the Sidur from the way the previous generations prayed. But what can we do? I have no guarantee that if I make tefillah short, that people are going to have kavanah in the short tefillah. They're going to do the same thing they do now. They come, they talk, they, they run around, they go make coffee, whatever they do in tefillah. Uh, they check out other people's clothing. What would it help the Chachamim if we were to make a shorter tefillah if still nobody would have kavana? He said, we would, we would make things short so people would have kavana, but nobody would have kavana anyway. So what's the point of making it short? From here you see though that the theme all across the board is it's not an all or nothing. It's about what you do with kavana. It's about how you use the mitzvot that you are doing right. And I think that uh, this is something that's not mentioned enough. We're so afraid if we tell people this, that what will happen is people will only do one mitzvah and they'll abandon all the rest, or they'll only do this part. And then sometimes, sometimes it's really important to tell people the truth. And the truth is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants authenticity from us. And I think that the question you're asking is coming from a place of, is it better for me to be unauthentic than to be authentic? And I, I think that it, that's really your question. And the answer is always going to be, you have to be yourself. Now, you might have to live with yourself. Or you might have to deal with the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to think a certain way about yourself. That's yourself, though. That's who you are. And, and your authenticity is all that's being asked from you. Everything else is just an external trapping. And the, I think the worst thing is to think that we can fool HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And what I'm saying now has nothing to do with the Rambam. The, the thinking of fooling HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we read on Yom Kippurim. What's the Haftarah we read on Yom Kippurim? 
Anybody? Hanan. Okay, also we read Hanan. Okay, but in the, in the later in the Yom Kippur. Not about Yonah. 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 Yonah Hanavi. What is the story of Yonah the prophet? You have a prophet. Let's make the story very short. You have a prophet who thinks he can outsmart HaKadosh Baruch He's going to hide. He's going to hide from Ribbon Olamim. And the answer is you just can't. You can't. And there's no point in trying. HaKadosh Baruch is, Yonah, you have a problem. Talk to HaKadosh Baruch Don't run away from HaKadosh Baruch In general, I think that so many of us think that we can, we can outsmart the Creator. How? By doing all the things He wants us to do, right? That's how we outsmart the Creator. But really, it's not, it's not what HaKadosh Baruch wants. Imagine if you had a spouse and your spouse did all the things they were supposed to do. And you know, what, why are you buying me flowers? Is that because you love me? No, it's because of what I'm supposed to do on your birthday. Okay, well, why are you taking me for dinner? Because I'm supposed to take you for dinner for our anniversary. That, well, they're doing all the right things, but, but they don't really care to do any of those things. And that's the relationship that most people have with the Kadosh Baruch You can imagine that Kadosh Baruch is not looking for more people like that. He's got enough of them. He's looking for someone to say, Kadosh Baruch you know what? I want to do Teshuvah, but I'm not ready for the whole thing right now. But I want to talk to you. And we're going to spend a whole day in Kippur talking to each other. Imagine how much greater of a connection that is with HaKadosh Baruch My thoughts. Thank you very much. Of course. All right. Anything else before we go? Yes. Me. Yes. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to ask a question. What is the purpose of the Shuvah? Because... I mean, everybody has times in life where they really genuinely regret something and they really want to change the character and people do change all the time. So isn't that more genuine to just do it whenever you need to do it as opposed to have a set time where, you know, you repent because you know that Yom Kippur is coming, Rosh Hashanah is coming and then, you know, the Book of Life is open and everybody's scared all of a sudden. But it's it's kind of by fear rather than by love and true understanding that, you know, yes, I did something wrong and yes, I need to improve on this on that. So, I mean, like, well, I guess like the, the question is like, what is the pu- purpose of doing it just like kind of like once a year as a set time? And like in general, like, what is according to like the Awe Hahamim, what is the generally the purpose of Teshuvah? And that's my question. I think there's that's a very good question actually. And there's three, there's three things I can say back to that. And one is just the first that, you know, when you get a reminder from your bank that in 30 days you have a payment due, or you have a deadline at school. In two weeks you're supposed to bring a chocolate cake for the kids' class or whatever. Why do they send out that reminder email? What's the point of it? I could do it already today. What's the purpose? Oh, you have time to do it. Yeah, it's like the doctor checks in. Hey, it's time for your annual checkup, or you got to check your eyes out now, or whatever it is. That, the reason they do that is because most people always put off, I'll, listen, I really want to do it, but right now, I'll do tomorrow, I'll do tomorrow, I'll do tomorrow, and then we never get a chance. And then years of our life go by without having a chance to do Teshuvah. It's for that reason that our whole life is built in with opportunities for Teshuvah. If it's the vidui we do in the morning or the afternoon or before we go to bed or other things. Or if it's, then those are mini Teshuvahs. And if there's something organic and spontaneous that pops up, like now I'm really feeling Teshuvah, but it's the month of, uh, I don't know, it's the month of uh, Cheshvan. What, what is the, do I do Teshuvah now? Of course you do Teshuvah now. That's a real Teshuvah. 
So then what do I do in the month of? In the month of, I do all the things that I didn't feel naturally inspired to do Teshuvah for. That's number one. Uh, I think number two is that there's this concept, and I'm not sure that I fully can grasp it or even explain it. If I don't fully grasp it, how can I explain it? Uh, but there's a time of what uh, our Chachamim referred to as an Et Ratzon. Uh, you know, what's the, the piyut that we sing before we blow the Shuvah? Every community sings it differently. Ashkenazi communities, they sing it by not singing it at all. Um, it's now the time for the gates of Ratzon. For the, it's the, uh, now there's a time of, of goodwill, if I could say, in front of a Kadosh Baruch that's opened up. Uh, this time is is misugal. It's the word that we use. It's there's something special. It's 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 fitting. It's the English word for that is propitious. Yeah, but I don't know what propitious means. You guys are in the UK, so for sure you speak better <laughs> it English it than I do. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's like when they tell me that tefillin. How do you say tefillin in English? Phylacteries. If I'm saying the word phylacteries, I might as well say tefillin, because nobody knows what phylacteries are. Uh, so this, um, so it's a propitious, auspicious, they use sometimes that word, time to do teshuvah. I mean, there, it's a certain, whatever it is, there's, a, there's something around this time period in which it's better to do teshuvah. Uh, last but not least is, there seem to be some averot that have residual teshuvah that needs to be done. There are averot that you finish them, you're done with them, you did Teshuvah for them, but once a year, it's okay to open up that, that box that you stored on your shelf that you don't want to think about the rest of the year. That's not healthy for you to think about for the rest of the year. It's important to bring it up again now, to talk about it now, to remember it was 10 years ago, it was 20 years ago, but, but it's still something that I feel there's, there's some residue of Teshuvah that I still have left over. And uh, I think that those three ideas all together give you, a, th- there's why there's this time for Teshuvah. And you'll notice that uh, we say, Chachamim teach us that different people, their teshuvah ends, you know, tzaddikim end on one day, and uh, benonim another day, and rashaim on a different day. So why are the tzaddikim still doing teshuvah? It's part of this collective time, this experience of doing teshuvah. And I think, first, it's a reminder in the most practical level, this is time to do teshuvah. Two, it's an auspicious, propitious time to do teshuvah. And third, there are some things that we need more than just a once in a lifetime to do teshuvah for. And I think that part of that is also important. Don't do Teshuvah for things you didn't do. I can share a radical idea. My rabbi, when he says, Ashamnu, Baganu, there's some things he skips. In his life, he said he never did this Avera, so why should he do it? Why should he say, sorry for X, Y, and Z? He never did it. Let's focus on the things we actually did, because like Sarah Leto, Vidui, Teshuvah has to be authentic. So why am I pretending that I did Avera to do Teshuvah for them? A little bit I have a struggle with this. When we say... Um, if I don't know if uh, I don't know what the minhagim are over there, but in many kilot on the morning of Yom Kippurim or some later in the Yom Kippurim, we do a super long vidui called the vidui of Rabbeinu Nisim, and it's not even sure that Rabbeinu Nisim even wrote this vidui, but it goes according to the Aleph Bet, and under every letter it has like a thousand avirot that you have done, all starting with the letter Aleph, all starting with the letter Bet, also the letter Gimel. And listen, let's be honest, so from the thousand of them, we probably did the 995 of them, but the, the five of them that we didn't do, so why are we saying them? I, sometimes I struggle with this. Why, why are we pretending to do Teshuvah for things that we for sure didn't do wrong? But other things, they need. They need a constant every year Yom Kippurim. 
Yeah? Okay, so this was my point one. Point one was about the Makuba. Yes. I hear you. Could I just say something? Maybe the idea of um, saying that we're doing tshuva for things that we haven't done personally is because of, and I forget the Hebrew expression, but all of Israel is responsible one for the other. It's a collective whole that we're doing tshuva for. Yeah, I mean, it's also like a national. I mean, in in temple times, it was a national day of of kapara uh, for the Jewish people. Most likely, that's the correct answer. In the sense that, you know, why do Jews in Israel still pray that we should come back to Israel? They're already in Israel, so what are they praying for? They're praying for collectively the Jewish people to come home. That's that's a collective prayer. I guess then you would expect that either of those prayers would be said in in plural, like not just me, but all of us, and it could be Hashem nu, Bagad nu, we're saying in plural, and we say them silently, which which is a little bit implies that we're talking about ourselves. but again, you're right, it's, um, most likely that's the correct answer. The correct answer is the reason why we uh, do Teshuvah, for the, or we say we do it for those things, uh, collectively, for the whole people. That's correct, I'll give it to you. Alright, so my, my point one today was to deal with Rabbi Yosef Masah's letter last week in which he was talking about the Mekubalim and their style of Teshuvah not working for everybody and to show you that there's precedent even in the writings of the Mekubalim themselves to deal with people this way. The second. The second point that Rabbi Yosef Masah's made was how to deal with all the people in our lives who may not be tzaddikim or may not be attempting even to live the kind of life that we would hope that Am Yisrael would live. And I don't think that we need a lesson in how to judge people favorably, how to be nice to people, how to not be an absolute uh, jerk to people. I don't think that that's something that we need a lesson on from the Chachamim. Rather, what we do need a lesson on sometimes from a Jewish perspective is, are our Chachamim okay with us being so human and just loving people for what they are and who they are and showing kindness to people even though the life they live may not be the kind of life that people wants from us and the reason why this is important is because there are so many people especially who invoke the Torah and say no you can't you have to hate evil people and they're criminals and they're wicked people and they burn in here and they go over and this is a thing that is coming this this type of Judaism as much as I would love to believe has been forgotten is making a comeback today in ways that I cannot even explain it would be important and wise for us to look at the original sources classic texts and to see in those classic texts that uh, even those Chachamim who were Mikubalim and are, are unfortunately blamed for this type of mentality they themselves didn't write such things and I told you last week Chacham Mordechai Eliyahu was the Mikubal of the last generation so why didn't he speak this way? Why is it that his Kabbalah didn't have what those guys on YouTube had in it? Must be there's something else there that these YouTube personalities didn't figure out yet. And Baruch uh, Hashem, let's, let's see that inside. Araperetz always calls this next book a Sefer Hanifla. It's a wondrous book. It's a special book. It's from the writings of Rabbi Moshe Cordovero. Have you heard of the Ramak before? Rabbi Moshe Cordovero? Yeah. Has anyone here ever studied yes. any, any of his Yes. Pardes Rimonim is probably his most famous work. Uh, he also offered a commentary on the on the Zohar. He was the student of the Bet Yosef and he was a teacher of Yari. 
Yes, yes, to all of them and no to all of them. There are different <laughs> accounts. <laughs> there are different accounts uh, of, uh, of even today when I was researching again the Ramak, different people tell me different <laughs> things. Some say that Arizal studied by him. Then another source told me that Darizal moved to Tzfat on the day the Ramak died. Others say that, so for me it's like, listen, I don't know, I wasn't there. Okay, but what I can tell you, I can't tell you, is what I can tell you. Um, Maran, Maran seems to have been his teacher, along with Mahari Berav, who was the famous rabbi who restarted the Sanhedrin and had ordained uh, Maran. There was much speculation that perhaps the Ramak was ordained by the Mahari Berav also as part of the Sanhedrin, but it seems like it's not a, it's an assumption, but it's not actually something that has been ever documented anywhere. For some point in his life, Rabbi Chaim Vital, who was the primary disciple of the Arizal, first studied by the Ramak and then went to Rabbi Chaim Vital. And then you have people like uh, Maran, Rabbi Yosef Karo, who go back to the Ramak to study Kabbalah with him as opposed to to the Arizal. And perhaps I'll focus a little bit on that for just a moment. I am not a Kabbalist. And I'm not well versed in the books of Kabbalah or the teachings of Kabbalah. And uh, in general, people who, who teach Kabbalah in public, you should assume that they're not very well versed in the books of Kabbalah themselves. Uh, this, this debate concerning Kabbalah, again, I told you, is not for my shoe right now. But just to tell you that when you use this word Kabbalah, it's a, it's a little bit of a misnomer. It's kind of like saying, you know, people like to say, oh, I heard Sepharadim do X, or I heard Ashkenazim do Y. But really, when you're talking about Ashkenazim, you're talking about 101 subcategories of people, all from some generic region, but, uh, you know, they're Russian Ashkenazim, and Polish Ashkenazim, and Hungarian Ashkenazim, and Lithuanian Ashkenazim, and, and Galicianers, and, uh, and all of them are different. Now, it doesn't mean that it's a substantial difference. It doesn't mean that they, we don't get married and become friends. But, it means, you know, you say Sephardim, I'm, you know, whenever I go to Los Angeles, so people assume that all Sephardim are Persian, Iranian. When you go to New York, they assume that all Sephardim are Syrians. You go to Montreal, they assume that all Sephardim are, are Moroccans. And so, you know, wherever you go. But it's not true. It's, there, there are many flavors to this rainbow. Mekubalim are the same way. There are many camps of Kabbalah inside of this generic word called Kabbalah. And a lot of what people take issue with in Kabbalah is not all from the same camps of Kabbalah. And it would be a mistake to blurry all those lines and to, to not understand them properly. The Ramak, his Kabbalah, is, is known as Kabbalah Taramak. He has his own approach to Kabbalah, his own approach to the Zohar. It's in, in direct contradiction to many concepts that are found in the Arizal's Kabbalah. What are they? I told you, I'm not a Kabbalist. I can't tell you what they are. I don't know what they are. I don't tell you that I completely understand what they are. But there's differences. The Arizal introduced many, many things to, to Kabbalah, so much so they call it already Lurianic Kabbalah, and it has its own flavor and its own style and its own problems and its own, everything that goes along with it is its own camp. The Ramak is a type of Kabbalah that comes right before the Arizals. And until today, there are most of those, most of those who study Kabbalah, I would say that the Ramak's Kabbalah has almost entirely been decimated. If not decimated, then all that's left of it is whatever was allowed to be incorporated into other Lurianic Kabbalistic movements. 
that I don't know of, I mean, I'm sure that I'm, I'm wrong somewhere, but I, I don't know of any groups of Mikubalim that are students of the Ramak exclusively. And uh, part of why Maran left that Rizal to go to the Ramak had to do with the types of Kabbalah that were being taught and what was able to be understood and not. I didn't come to give a lesson on Kabbalah. You're talking about the years, maybe 1520 to 1570. This is the period in which uh, uh, Ramak lives in Tzfat. We don't know where the Ramak was born, but we're assuming from the last name Cordovero that he comes from. Cordova in Spain. Very good, in Spain. Though it's obvious that there's a lot of Portuguese influence on him. Uh, some even go from his signatures. You can see that he was uh, influenced by the Portuguese. It, it helps that when he was in Sfat, he was the Rosh Hashiva who uh, brought in many of the Portuguese Jews to that place. He was in charge of institutions for Portuguese uh, refugees who were, who were leaving then. So clearly, Spanish Portuguese. Let's put, by the way, just that, that name. I know you in the UK have a Spanish Portuguese communities, but Spanish Portuguese is like. American Canadian. I mean, it's, it's they're close, but they're not the same. It's a very interesting name to come up with. A, I'm sure that someone's not going to like me now in the UK for saying this, but it, it's like a, it's, it's already a, a mush. You know, there's already something going on here. So the Mac is a hybrid of of some. The term is uh, is because a lot of um, the people that come from the Spanish Portuguese community are originally Spanish, but moves to Portugal and then moves somewhere else. Absolutely. In which case, they're really just Spanish, no? Well, apparently they're quite influenced by Portuguese uh, the period of being in Portugal. It was quite a major event in, um, uh, in this group. Okay, well, there you have it. So that's, that's uh, I guess that's the reason for the name. In our... In our context, the Ramak is a Tzfat Kabbalist. He's living in a generation of many big rabbis. Maran himself, the, you're talking about the Rabbi Moshe Mitrani, who's living in that time period. You're talking about uh, other, other Chachamim, you know, Chaim Vital, Rizal, the brother-in-law of the Ramak. Anyone know who the brother-in-law of the Ramak is? His name was Rabbi Shlomo Halevi al Have you heard of him? Very good. He wrote the song Lechadudi. Talking about the same generation in which Rabbi Dezer Azikri or Askari is living there in this period uh, that's called the Sefer Haredim. It's like a, a generation in Sfat, which is, which is I mean, this is the, the center of at least Jewish life in Eretz Israel, was there at this time. Rabbi Moshe Korovero writes a book called Tomer Devorah, the palm tree of Devorah. And the first chapter is is a very beautiful chapter, and then the subsequent chapters go into really deep technical Kabbalistic explanations of the first chapter. And most of what I'm going to quote today, um, most of what I'm going to quote today comes from chapter 1 and a little tiny bit from chapter 2. Let me just read you a few selected quotes because I know that my time is running short. I want to send you off into Rosh Hashanah and with these thoughts of Am Yisrael and the love that HaKadosh Baruch has for Am Yisrael and inevitably for us as well. Rabbi Moshe Kodavel writes the following words. On page 4, source 6. This is the way that HaKadosh Baruch relates with the Jewish people. 
לומר, מה אעשה לישראל? What can I do to the Jewish people? והם קרוביי, they are my relatives. שאר בשר יש לי עמהם, they are related to me in flesh. שהם בת זוג לקדוש ברוך הוא, וקורא לה ביתי, אחותי, אמי. We are partners, meaning we are related to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem refers to us as his daughter, Biti. You know, now with NF Slichot, what's the piyut we sing? Batahuva el kama bashachar. Batahuva, the daughter, the beloved daughter of Hashem. Erev Rosh Hashanah, what do we sing about HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Achot ketana tefilotaha. Achot ketana, we're the little sister. HaKadosh Baruch Hu refers to us always as a relative. כדי פרשו זה על הגרבה, זה אקספליין, וכתיב ישראל עם קרובו ממש קרובה, יש לו עמהם ובניו הם. We are directly related to הקדוש ברוך הוא, we're his children. והיינו לשרי נחלתו, לשון, אוקיי. ומה אומר, what can I say? אם אני שם הרי הכאב עליי, if I punish the Jewish people, says הקדוש ברוך הוא, I feel the pain of that punishment. כדכתיב, לגצת את נשעיה, בכל צרתם לא צר, and all of the Jewish people suffering, הקדוש ברוך הוא suffers. כתיב באלף, לומר שצערה מגיעה לפעיל עליון, לפי שאינו סובל צערה מוקלונה מפני שהם שרי נחלתו. הקדוש ברוך הוא cannot handle punishing the Jewish people because it hurts him directly. And because of that, אינו סובל צערה. השם is not handle, he does not tolerate their suffering, וקלונם, and he does not tolerate people who denigrate the Jewish people. ככה אדם עם חברו. And this is the way a Jewish person must think when dealing with our friends. Kol Yisrael hem she'er basar elu im elu. All of us are related to each other. This is already a mutual consequence. If I do an avera, I cause an avera to the rest of us. Alexander Menashe, this is what you're talking about. If, I do a, if I'm doing teshuvah for all of us, because collectively there are averot that impact the Jewish people. Collectively there are mitzvot which impact the Jewish people. On top of page 5, And therefore, A person should always be looking out for the benefit of their fellow. And a person should always be happy for the accomplishments of their friends. I never understood people who are jealous of other people who accomplish something. I see a person, they became wealthy, they became famous, they blur. I'm happy, I'm happy to see that a person succeeded in life. It makes me happy. Jealousy, I understand jealousy, I wish I was also successful. Nobody's stopping you, and they didn't stop you. The fact that that person became someone isn't, isn't on your back. They didn't do it instead of you. You can be happy for another person's accomplishments, for another person's success. וכבודו יהיה חביב עליו כשלו. And we should, their respect, their honor, their dignity should be as precious to us as our own. שרי הוא, הוא ממש. We are literally the same person. ומטעם זה נצטווינו, because of this we are commanded in ויקרא ואהבתה לרעך כמוך. We should love your fellow like yourself. וראוי שירצה בכשרות חברו. And we want our friends to be kosher. What does it mean our friends to be kosher? How do you make your friends kosher? What makes a person kasher? Nobody, a kasher person. 
What's like the question? Maybe honest, honest person. Honest or? people, good people. Yes, let's include in there observing the will of a kadosh baruch Hu. So how do I maintain the dignity, the kashrut status of my friends? Don't speak bad about Am Israel. Oh, those people, they do have Those people, don't do it. And remember that just like I don't want my relatives to be hurt, this person is my relative. And that's why Kadosh Bukhu doesn't want us to be denigrated either. We must reach a place where when we see people speak bad about each other, that hurts us inside as well. I'll never forget, I lived in Israel. I believe this happened either when I lived in Israel or right after I left Israel. I was still very much in the Israel scene in this story. There was a little girl from a religious home, by the way. She was religious herself, maybe seven years old or eight years old, on her way to her school. And, and she was dressed as a... I don't know if I had to use denominations. She belongs to a more modern Orthodox crowd, if I had to use a term. She gets on her school bus in, in Bechemish, or I'm at Bechemish, and she gets on the bus, and some man sees her and says, Princess, you're not dressed, and spits at her. And it made the news, all over the news. And it was the guy spits on this little girl on the bus for not dressing modestly. And I remember one of the Chachamim who was very close with went to go to her and to speak with her. They said, what's, what, you know, you're a big rabbi, what are you doing here? What's, what's, <laughs> what do you have to do with me that got spit on a school bus? He said, when someone spits on a Jewish girl, that's my sister you're spitting on. That's my family that you're denigrating in public. How dare you do such a thing to my sister? And I remember thinking about that and saying, the attitude of the Chachamim, the Jewish people are my family. Who do you think you are that you're going to come in here and disrespect my family in front of me? Do we need to fix family? Do we need to improve family? Sure, but you're not going to stand up there and talk about them. We're going to do it, but not by you screaming at them. Now what happens when you meet a real rasha, like a rasha with, with diplomas? A real qualified rasha. He's a bad Jew. Look in the bottom right column of page 5. Even when you meet real rashaim, don't be cruel to them. Don't degrade them. Have compassion over them. And you should say, Sof, Sof, him b'nei Avraham, Yitzchak, v'yakov. These are still the sons and daughters of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Im hem enam k'sherim, avotehem k'sherim v'hagunim. If these people are not k'sherim, at least their parents or their grandparents, somewhere in this person's family, they were righteous people. V'hamevazeh ha'banim, mevazeh ha'avot. And if you denigrate somebody's children, you denigrate them. I don't want to disrespect their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents. This person represents generations of good people. So I see a rasha, I don't want to hurt a rasha. Because by hurting this rasha, I'm hurting their whole, their whole family, who they are, where they come from. And that brings him to chapter 2, which gets even more radical 
than just thinking nicely about people or not saying bad about people. Tzarich adam, a person must. Shishum siba shebaolam lo timnaehu meleitiv. That there should be nothing on earth. A person must reach a place where there is nothing on earth which will stop you from doing good for somebody else. There should never be something which causes you that when another person is in need, that you don't want to help them. Even if they hurt you, even if there are people, that, I'm not hurting you physically, people that are did people that are wrong, people that are rishaim. I have an interesting scenario. Not all of you are familiar with my history here in California, but I was once a rabbi in a different community. And that community, in a very vicious way, made sure that I wasn't their rabbi anymore. That community, until today, has no rabbi. And random moments out of the year, at a Pesach, there's a Brit Milah, there's a wedding, random people will reach out to me. And I know the Lashon Hara they say about me. I know the things they talk about me in town. They still reach out for help. What? And in the beginning, I didn't want to answer their phone calls. But my wife, who's a real tzaddikin, she says, listen, if they're calling you, it must be that they have nobody else to call because these people hate you. And if they're so desperate that they're willing to call you, you should answer their phone call. And I cannot tell you how many times, thanks to my wife telling me to answer the phone, that there have been moments where I was able to fulfill the impossible, which I didn't think I would ever be able to fulfill. Which is there are people who have, have harmed me, harmed my reputation. But they had a halachic question that was urgent. They had a kashrut question. They had a tarat mishpacha question. They need to know about uh, where to find a mohel. They need, and I answered the phone and I helped them. And I reached a little tiny bit of this feeling of what does it mean when a kadosh Bahu cares about us even though we hurt him? Because that's who we're trying to emulate. HaKadosh <laughs> Bahu takes care of the greatest of creatures to the smallest creatures. Hashem was to neglect His creations because they're so lowly, then He wouldn't bother with any of us. compassion over anybody. Anybody who needs you, don't ever think that someone is not good enough to need you. We're not good enough for Kadosh Baruch to need us. There are some fleas in the garbage can, or uh, uh, some that still has for, still cares about, still makes sure that they have food. How? Why? Because if Kadosh Baruch were to act like we act, half the things on earth would disappear. But he doesn't. And it's good for a person to be like our, our God. You should train yourself to let the love of human beings enter your heart. Even the most evil people. Imagine they were your brothers or more than that. Until you learn to love all of humanity. Even the evil people, you should love them in your heart. And you should say, If only, if only these people would all do Teshuvah, look how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu would love them. I wish to love them that way.
Look at the last sentence for today. Bold, I bolded these words. Train yourself to say this sentence. Why do I hate people that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves? HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves them. That's why they're here. They exist. Every second of their existence, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives them life. So why do I hate them so much? How come HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves them but I can't? In which cloak of religiosity do I wear that allows me to hate the people that the creator of the universe loves. And I'm extending that to us. Why do we loathe ourselves so much? When it comes time to do Teshuvah, to do Teshuvah from a place of Ahava, like we mentioned in the beginning of last week's show. I love myself, that's why I'm doing Teshuvah. It's not that I hate myself, it's not that I loathe myself, I can't handle myself. HaKadosh Bokhu made you here, it's because He loves you, because He wants you. If you're here, that's because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you here. Love yourself at least as much as you love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Extend that love to everybody else in your life, everybody else in the world. When I look at Am Yisrael and I say, look at the people that, I'm, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has. You know, we have problems. Hashem is more the amount of problems that we have. I look at the Jewish community. The problems are endless. At the end of the day though, these are children of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I look at the world. I look at the people suffering in the world. I look at the wars between people, the races, and everything that people hate everybody else in the world for. And I look around and say, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives life to all of these beings on earth. So why? Why don't I love them as much? And I strive to love them that much. And recently we had a, a problem with some pests in our house. Not in our house, outside of our house. In the backyard. We live on a canyon, which is like a natural reserve area. And uh, we said, oh, maybe we'll put some traps or some whatever. And my sons threw a tantrum at me. What do you mean? We don't want you to do that. Those are Hashem's creatures. I got it on the head. If I, if I even dare kill a spider in the house or something, you would think they want to live with those spiders. They, they, the, 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 the anger that they showed to me, because how dare I harm a Kadosh Baruch Hu's world. I think to myself, if only we had this love for everything on earth. For everything on earth. When I look at Am Yisrael, I want to fix Am Yisrael. So I will say things to provoke Am Yisrael into fixing themselves. But to hate them? To call them names? To detest them? To remove them from the category of Jewish people? To scream at them? To, how dare I? How dare we? And to make sure that we always run into the arms of a Judaism that looks at the Jewish people. And says, we love you. Because, I love you, says Hashem. Hashem literally says those words. I love you, says Hashem. And the message of Torah that you hear on Rosh Hashanah, on Kippur, on Sukkot, the Zimcha Torah, must be a message. Because you can't compare. You can't compare a Teshuvah that comes from a place of love to a Teshuvah that comes from a place of fear. Our goal our goal is to bring this approach to Judaism to the world. That each one of you should go out into the world and let people know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu does want you. Am Yisrael really do want you. The Torah mitzvot, they really can work for you. It really does work. It's not so crazy. It's not so hard. It's not going to change your life in a way that's negative. It will only transform things for you in the positive. We've had nine 
Shilim together in the last, it's been more than nine weeks since we started this Bidamidash in the UK. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate every single one of you. I know what it's like to be awake at this hour of the night. I know what it's like to have a thousand things to do, to be wanting to go to sleep, to whatever else you need to be doing. You finish a long day, you just want to relax, and you decide that, hey, this guy is the middle of the afternoon for him, but he's willing to talk. Why don't we learn with him? The chesed that you have done for me has been tremendous. And I appreciate, mamash, every, every single one of you. And the, the, those of you who follow up with me with questions and you stick around afterwards to talk. And I feel like, mamash, we know each other for a very long time. I was looking at it, it can't be the shiur number nine. It just can't be. We've been here forever. What it, what's shiur number nine? But I really, really believe that this friendship between ourselves, between myself, my wife, and you, and you all in between each other, it has the potential to bring a type of Judaism to the world that we could finally be proud of, that Am Yisrael can be proud of. It's not a Judaism that looks to get out of problems, to get out of uh, observance. To get It's not that at all. It's to make a Judaism that's the original Judaism, that our Chachamim wanted the children of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to feel like children, to feel like my parents love me no matter what I do. Look, my parents love me so much that even when I talk on Zoom, they come and listen to my class. They're here listening right now. That's a humbling experience for me. Everything that you do in your life, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is watching you. And every word that you go, HaKadosh Baruch is with you. If we could bring this to the world, to tell people, HaKadosh Baruch it's not scary. It's not scary. He's not trying to persecute you. He doesn't want you to go burn in Gehenna for the rest of eternity. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want you to be scared. He doesn't want you to be fearful of observance of Kashrut or of Shabbat or of Mitzvot. That this is a Judaism that is real, that is vibrant, that is alive. I believe that what we have here is something that we can use to show Am the beauty of Torah Hashem, of the Torah of the Creator of the Universe. And uh, I know that we're going to take a little bit of a break now. And I won't lie to you that I'm nervous. I'm nervous that, you know, it's going to be four or five weeks of not meeting regularly. And I mean, some of you will maybe come to other classes or events that we do over that time period. But I'm afraid that restarting again in October is going to be like starting this Benamidash over again. So I'm asking for you not to commit to me, but if this is something that you really enjoyed and it's something that you'd like to be a part of again in October, to let me know. So we can uh, plan for the winter. The winter, Baruch Hashem, we have a long expanse of time that we can get into some of those topics that you've been asking me over and over and over again. I promise even a class on Chalav Israel. I promise. Uh, and uh, Alexander Menashe, I'm, I'm banking on you to help me out with that one. And not to make me look like too much of a fool because you know more about cows than I ever will. And well, this, is <laughs> this is something that Be'ezat Hashem we can do together. And I'm very, very much looking forward to the winter. But until then, I'm wishing every single one of you a Shana Tuvah Mutuka. As we say, Tichle Shana V'Kidloteha. Let this year and all of its curses end. Tachel Shana V'Chotteha. And let this year and all of its blessings that are in store, let them all begin already today. Be'ezat Hashem.